0: So freeing ourselves from the inner critic. I'm always curious when I do these days, uh, which I like to do, uh, since so many people I know and work with are so plagued uh, by the critic, the judge, whatever we like to call it, and it's really important in our practice that we learn how to work with this part of our mind. But I'm curious, um, uh, just to hear from you for a moment before I begin my talk, what, what brings you here today? If you just want to shout out in a few words, a word, two words, or a sentence, anybody just? What brings you here today? Tired of the inner critic? Tired of the inner critic? Judging the inner critic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of nods going around the room. Searching for peace. Searching tools, tools to change. Tools to change. Yeah. Coping mechanisms, Coping mechanisms with the critic. <coughs> mm-hmm. Labels. Labels. Mm-hmm. Labels for? Okay, labels. Okay, we'll see if we get to that. Labeling things, uh-huh. Anxiety and fear generated by the critic or just general? <coughs> They're related. related. They're related. <laughs> <laughs> Self acceptance. Self acceptance. Mm-hmm. The inner critic, a lot of inner critic brings a lot of violence to the life, to life in the, in the mind, yeah. And in life, yeah. Yeah, good. Okay, so that's a little sample. I'm sure there's many other reasons. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, what I would like to invite us today is uh, into a day of um, exploration and curiosity and to do <coughs> go through this day with as much uh, kindness and acceptance and forgiveness and (coughs) lightness Uh, to be um, to hold this lightly it's a very heavy topic and um, uh, it's important to uh, hold it and ourselves uh, to be mindful of how we're holding it so i found for myself that um uh, through the practice of mindfulness that's created a lot of space around these voices and uh, demons or whatever we like to call them, that there's a certain kind of levity that comes. So I'd like to, uh, to seed that into the day. So I'd like to start with this reading that it's anonymous. Dear Lord, so far it has been a good day. I haven't lost my temper shouted at anyone, or forgot anything. Amazingly, I have not told any lies, been conceited or selfish, nor have I done anybody any harm. I haven't smoked, or even had a drink. Now if you please, I must get on with my day, but first I must get out of bed this morning. (laughs) (laughs) So, sometimes that's how it is. (laughs) So, The inner critic, the judge, the tyrant, the perfectionist, the guilt-tripper. What are your names for the critic? Sometimes I call it the shamer, the inadequator. (laughs) Any other names out there for the critic? (laughs) boring <laughs> the taskmaster,, mm. the destroyer, the underminer, the belittler, hmm? rescuer. rescuer, the saboteur, yes, nice one, the eyebrows, the, eyebrows, the raised eyebrows, Johnny, Johnny? <laughs> you call it Johnny. <laughs> Good, give it a name. It's a, like a pet, it follows us around, <laughs> take care of it, yaps at our ankles. You know, it's a good analogy, actually. <laughs> yeah. So um in the in the Buddhist tradition, um the the Buddha and the texts refer to this part of the mind in a couple of ways. So in the texts uh in the life of the buddha and stories about the buddha um it appears as uh the figure mara so mara in 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 indian culture and other cultures um, is uh basically the lord of death um it's the it's but it's it it gets personified as this voice and for the buddha it was a voice of uh, mostly self doubt and that's another aspect of the critic, self-doubting, the doubter, doubting our efficacy, our value, our worth, our goodness, our skills. And often, the, uh, even at the, the, the night of his enlightenment, uh, Mara, the personification, and at that, that time there was, was more the use of mythological metaphor to explain the inner workings of the psyche And Mara appeared and said, just as the Buddha was about to attain full awakening, and the Mara appeared and said, who do you think you are to sit on this throne of enlightenment, this lotus throne of enlightenment that all the Buddhas in the past have sat on? Who do you think you are? Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Who do you think you are to be doing whatever you're doing, right? Very deep, undermining voice. And the Buddha, In this mudra, which some of you can see, some of you can't hear, there's this this earth-touching mudra, places his hand on the earth and says, the earth is my witness. I have innate goodness to sit on this throne. I have innate goodness to be here. I'm always moved by that story because it's like, yes, we have, it's our birthright to be here. It's our birthright to know happiness, to know freedom. There's nothing wrong with us whatsoever. Our nature is good, our nature is whole. So the Buddha looks to the earth and says, yeah, the earth is my witness. I have, I, this, this is my rightful place, just as you're sitting in your rightful place. Yeah. So, and then the Buddha attains full awakening, and you'd think, wow, well after full awakening, surely, Mara has, you know, been vanquished. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, and these mythological stories go. (laughs) He kept reappearing. Oh, you've worked so hard teaching this great throng of disciples and monks and nuns. Maybe you should retire. Maybe you should relax a little, you know, take it easy. Uh, So various different ways he would come and still play out. And what would, and the, and the, the, The potency of the story is at some point, you know, sometimes it'd be in dialogue, the Buddha would be having it in a dialogue with himself. And at some point the Buddha would say, ah, Mara, I see you. Mara, I see you, which is the power of mindfulness, the power of awareness, oh, I see, this is just the voice of judgment, doubt, whatever. And Mara would be horrified to be seen and would slither away, <laughs> 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 diminished and forlorn. Yeah, So it's often this true with ourselves. We turn our awareness to, to, to face these inner demons, which can seem so monolithic, so huge. Yeah, when, when they just, they're just just kind of going on, droning on, blah, 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 you're not good enough, you didn't do it right, you're not perfect, you're who do you think you are? Yeah. And then if we turn to them and go, well, what is this? It's just a bunch of thoughts, just a bunch of incessant, persistent, undermining, negative, devaluing thoughts, thought structures, patterns, beliefs. I say just, That's a, you know they're a very powerful, tenacious force, but they are still a bunch of thoughts, a bunch of views and opinions that we ascribe value to. And by doing so, we feel diminished. We feel devalued, we feel hopeless, we feel despair, we feel depressed. So we all have that power to, to, you know, and so that's why I started the day with mindfulness, and we'll use the mindfulness practice in the day. Mindfulness is quality of knowing, is non-judgmental knowing, of just seeing things for what they are, seeing things as they are. This is a quote from um, the teacher, Hamid, who is the founder of the Diamond Approach work, and the teacher of the person who wrote the book. So the, one of the books that I like about the inner critic is called Soul Without Shame. So one of the things, one of the functions of the critic is to shame us. You know, we, the, the, the consequence of, of, of buying into the judgments about ourselves is we feel shame, which is a very, very painful experience. So Hamid says, the problem is not that we want to be happy, but that we are going about it in the wrong way, which is exactly what the Buddha said. He taught because he saw people were ignorant and doing things that caused themselves more harm. When we really see that we are going about it in the wrong way, we quit. And then life can unfold on its own. We cannot make it unfold. We can quit our rejection, our judgment, our intolerance, but we will quit these patterns only when we are completely and totally see what they are doing, that they are hurting us. Yeah. And I'll talk more about that, about the, the, the way that we turn and feel the impact of the judging mind as a, as a support for releasing it. The other reference to the, the Buddhist teaching uh, comes in a teaching a couple of teachings that the Buddha gave but one specifically uh, using the metaphor of, um, of darts or arrows where we go through life and there is inevitable and, and and we he said we experience the first arrow the first arrow is the inevitability of pain in this world physical pain being sick the pain of loss the pain of aging the pain of separation, uh, the pain of not getting what we want, you know many many ways we can experience pain. The second dot he says is the pain that we add onto that experience, so maybe we're feeling grief because we're going through some loss, and there's just a natural painfulness to that. We lose somebody we separate from somebody. The second dot is well, you should be over this already. <laughs> Look at all the people who are starving in the world. You, you don't deserve to be upset. You know, who do you think you are? You know, fill in the blanks, we add these second dots. And the Buddha said, as a practitioner, as, as, as a meditator, we come into wise relationship with pain where we no longer fight or resist the inevitability, the reality of our suffer, of our pain. And therefore we don't add the second dart with our thoughts, with our concepts, with our reactions, with our judgments. So the critic in my experience for myself and working with a lot of people over these last 10, 12 years teaching and working with people individually in private practice, I think the critic is uh, the thing that I see that creates the most suffering in, in, in Western culture and the people that I've worked with. Pervasive, ongoing, persistent. And um, we often just kind of live with it. You know, We kind of surrender to it, resign to it, don't give it a lot of attention. We sometimes laugh about it, about how much we beat ourselves up. It's kind of socially acceptable to be demeaning of ourselves, pejorative, putting ourselves down. This is a cartoon that I like to share, which is a good example of this. I I read this on meditation retreats because it's often what we do in meditation, but it's really what we do in our lives. It's it's a cartoon that I read often called The Checklist of Feeling Pathetic. (laughs) Choose somebody and compare yourself unfavorably to them. Notice if you've already done that this morning. (laughs) Examine your face closely in the mirror and notice all the flaws. (laughs) I used to live with a, I I, I had a friend who had a uh, a mirror uh, that was one of those 10 time magnification mirrors. (laughs) And I kept saying, please, like anybody would look in that mirror is gonna find flaws. Please, (laughs) just look in a normal mirror. (laughs) Relive embarrassing, awful moments that occurred years ago. Very popular meditation pastime. (laughs) Make a mental note of all the people you regularly disappoint. (laughs) Especially people, this is my addition, especially people who share your last name. (laughs) Hmm? Disregard all the compliments, especially from people who supposedly love you. And there's a little the picture, and the woman's getting a compliment, hey, you look great, and she's thinking, don't patronize me. (laughs) And lastly, resign yourself to believing that from now on, this is how you will always feel. Another setup for complete misery. (laughs) Wake up in the morning, feel a little depressed, oh my God, I'm going to be depressed for the rest of my life. No, and you wake up, it's sunny, and then it changes, what do you know? So um, we're going to do an exercise later about uh, writing out our judgments, which I know for some of you might think might take the whole day, but uh, we'll, we'll, put it, we'll put some limit, time limits around it. Um, but to, 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 to start reflecting, as if you don't know already, what are your judgments? How do you judge yourselves? So... Mine, to give an example of what mine are, you know, and, and, it's, it's, and, and we'll be sharing some of these, and we, not to shame ourselves and humiliate ourselves, which sound, it sounds like it when we think about doing that, but it's to see that they're pretty universal, that we carry, you know, this, we have a particular themes that might relate to a certain thing that we do, but basically they're common themes. So um, uh, so some of my top 10, uh, all the things that I need fixing in my house that I never get around to doing, all the projects that I haven't got around to doing, the you know the piles of papers on the desk, and that that now be moved into the closet because I don't want to look at the papers, you know that kind of thing. Um, all the people uh, that are meditating better than I am, you know, that know what they're doing in meditation. Um, oh, a popular one is um, this is more personal, uh, not doing a good enough job teaching. Yeah, there could be somebody else doing a better job up here, yeah, so apply that to your own life, you know. Um, But it could be, you know, my car hasn't been washed for a few months, like, oh, and the car's still unwashed, Uh uh-huh, when are you going to get to the car, you know, and on it goes. Um, So just to start reflecting, what are your your themes, you know, what are the, if you had a top ten jukebox of criticisms, uh, what would be number one? So the critic is basically saying, you're human, you have you know, your, your personality and your idiosyncrasies and your uniqueness and your foibles, and it's not okay. It's not okay to be who you are. It's not okay to live how you're living. It's not okay to do what you're doing. Yeah, it's a fundamental rejection of what's true. And thinking it should be different, should be a different way, right? which is going against the reality of how it actually is. Well, actually, my car's dirty. It's been dirty for a few months, thank you very much. Yes, thank you for pointing it out. (laughs) It'd be really nice if I went to the car wash. Yes, that's true. Thank you. (laughs) It will happen at some point in the next year. (laughs) So it reminds us that we're not doing it right. Yeah, it's a very common theme. The, the perfectionist quality of the critic. We're not doing it right enough, well enough, perfect enough. As if there's some objective standard of how it should be done that somehow everybody else knows and we don't and we're failing. You know? So recently I went backpacking up in, uh, um, up in Sierras, up in Desolation Wilderness, which I love to do, and I love to watch my uh, my judging mind when I'm backpacking because there's nothing much going on. I'm just hiking and it's beautiful, and you know, there's no email, and phones, and work. And but the critic will find something to you know <laughs> whine about. <laughs> Why did you come on this path? You know, the other path looked way more beautiful on the map. <laughs> and I can't believe. And I and I I travel with my first aid kit is like three band aids. Um, and I was with a friend who needed more than some Band-Aid work, how come you don't travel with a first aid kit, like what's up with that? How you've been backpacking 20 years and you still don't come out with a first aid kit. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> or in meditation, you know, the, the critic as you m- move into doing spiritual practice and meditation becomes a, a meditation critic, You're just like a sports critic, it becomes a, a Buddhist critic. Oh, that wasn't very mindful, that's not very compassionate, that was a terrible meditation, you know. And so it just moves in and it takes up residence in whatever activity we engage in. You know, start take up dance class, I mean that's just a setup for disaster right there. <laughs> you know, or painting class, or singing class. You know, how, much, how, much, how many things do we not do because we're afraid of that voice going oh my god i can't believe you made such a fool of yourself so embarrassing yeah so we and life gets diminished we we cramp our lives because we live in fear of this voice sometimes the critic has a sort of a you know it's a good cop bad cop you know like so my my critic might go, oh, it's so cool. You just you know decide to go backpacking one day. The next day you just you in your car there you are, very spontaneous. That's so cool. And then it will be like, and but I can't believe you're so unorganized about the trip, you know. Or you know you've been working really hard. You should you know just sleep in today. You know you just, they, 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 those Buddhists they talk about being nice to yourself, be kind. You know, and then we get to breakfast. Like, I can't believe I didn't meditate. You're such a slacker. <laughs> so Walter Scott said, "Caught not the critic's smile, nor dread his frown." Caught not the critic's smile, nor dread his frown. So when 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 we're when we're working with the critic, that's good cop, bad cop we try really hard to get the critic's approval, yeah? You know, we tidy our house really perfectly or make the perfect dinner or polish the car or whatever it is we think we do that, and the critic goes, oh, good job, good job, you worked really hard today, you worked 18 hours, good job. You know, we feel sort of good about ourselves because we're getting a stroke from the critic. But we know, but we forget that that same critic, you know, we step one second out of line and we get thrashed. And because we're looking to that the critic for praise, we're giving it authority, so when the, when the slap comes, we really feel it, because we've, we've, given it, we've been giving it authority all the way along. So I think the most common critic theme is you're not good enough. You're basically just not good enough. At work, in your body, in your mind, in Your meditation, in your relationships, in love, in whatever it is, you're just just not good enough. Just not making it up to scratch. That sound familiar? Yeah. yeah, it's it's like the it's like the almost raison d'etre. Not quite, but so I once I tell a story as an example of this. I was working I teach mindfulness to 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 companies and executives and companies and I was working with this hedge fund and they just, uh, the trader that day had made a particularly good trade and he'd made $50 million for the company. It was was something that we'd been tracking over a period of time, but that particular day, that's when it came to fruition. And I was working with the trader uh, and I, so that, later that day, you know, we had a session and he looked really stressed and I was expecting him to feel, looking really happy, you know, made $50 million, I mean, it's more Anyhow, it's a lot of money. And he said, you know, it was, you know, it was a good day, but I knew I should have bought earlier and sold later. I could have made a few more million. Oh. That's the critic. It's never satisfied. Notice that, never satisfied. No matter what you do, it always could be a little better. So and to look at the places where this rub of not being enough manifests you know i think the place that's probably most challenging for people is parenting you know i don't know a single parent that doesn't have this sense of not being a good enough parent right because who knows how to parent <laughs> where's the manual <laughs> you know? but it could be but it could be anything it could be work it could be uh, as i said the, the many different arenas of our life relationship So so what's with the critic? Why do we have a critic? What's if it's so painful, right? Why would we why would we what's up with that? There's <laughs> a room full of people who are you know having some suffering around the critic, right? You're not alone. It's good to see. Oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who doesn't feel un good enough, who feels deficient who feels unworthy right it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a you know in and certainly my experience of, of of america and europe it's just it's a it's the most common malaise you know that leads to so many other psychological mental health issues so uh the origins of the critic or the superego as it's known in the psychological world um my sense developed out of uh, the need as a, young, as a young infant, as a young developing person, to um, navigate the trials and tribulations of whatever family system you're in, to navigate right and wrong, to basically maximize the receiving of love and the avoidance of rejection, rejoinance of abandonment. Which is a young infant that, that is life or death. So you do whatever it takes to toe the line to receive as much love and affection as possible, and avoid as much pain and rejection. Very hardwired, very human, very natural. And so we develop a con, we develop this sort of inner conscience of what's good and what's not good, what gets approval and love from. Mom and Dad or whoever the carers are, and the family, the friends, the, the siblings, the peers, the school. We do whatever we, we can to to receive love. Yeah? And so and that gets hardened and entrenched over time. And so the messages that received about what was right and what was good, what earned love and appreciation, affection, that's what becomes part of the the superego functioning. So those messages about what's right and what's good and what's bad and what's wrong usually have very early imprinting and then they get reinforced over time. And so in, since, the, since our caregivers at a young age can't be wrong or can't be bad, we internalize everything uh, that's wrong with us or that comes at us, that's critical, that must be true. Yeah, they can't be wrong, they can't be, they can't be bad, it must be over here. If mommy and daddy's upset. It must be because I'm doing something wrong. It's because I'm bad in some way. So another way that the, the, the superego functions is it's, it's a way that um, uh, in a sort of a uh, mm, odd way uh, helps us avoid feeling pain. So it helps us avoid feeling emotional pain. So you may notice when you start to feel strong emotion the what, ha, what's, what, gets, kicked, what gets triggered is the thinking mind and the judging mind because it's an, it's an easier default setting for us to feel judgment and thoughts rather than the emotional pain. So rather than feel sadness or loss or grief or loneliness, we'll feel the judgment and the condemnation or the the views and opinions and beliefs about that. Because it's easy to, on some level, easier to feel the thought structures than the, the, the deep emotional pain. There are many other causes for the critic to come into being. We all have our own different unique flavors and family histories and cultural histories. But what's important is when we is, is to see that the critic is a doorway in the sense that the critic is like the first layer that we might encounter. That's actually the doorway into something, to, into understanding something much deeper about ourselves, about the origin of these patterns of what's the pain that might be underneath the judgments. And we feel the critic not just mentally, yeah. So mostly it comes through verbal thoughts, concepts, ideas, but we also feel it physically. We feel it emotionally, and we feel it energetically. And sometimes we wake up, or we, you know, we we have it. We do something. Say we, you know, we have in a conversation, and we accidentally hurt somebody by what we've said. And the rest of the day we feel kind of foggy or cloudy or kind of heavy. And we're not going, that was a really terrible thing that you did and said, but we just feel kind of uh, kind of out of sorts and we feel icky or we feel, we might be feeling a sense of bad or wrong, but it's not, it's not, it's not a coming through the mind. We feel a collapse in the body. So often the judgment will will lead to a sort of physical collapse. We can literally feel, mm, can't think of another word, collapsed. (laughs) Pulled in, yeah? Or energy feels incredibly low. We feel suddenly exhausted for no reason. Uh, Or we feel uh, despair or hopeless. You know, we're meditating, and our critics on our case about how we're a pathetic meditator and then we just feel a sense of despair, like, oh, I, I, this is another thing I can't do, this is hopeless, I feel like giving up. You yeah? so we often feel that sense of uh, helplessness. These are all different manifestations or the effects of the critic. Foggy brain is another one. So, that's all very jolly. <laughs> So the good news. <laughs> There's only six more hours to this day. What? <laughs> oh yeah, <I> know. <laughs> Sorry, it took a little long to get to that piece. <laughs> the good news is that uh, is is we can really uh, do transformational, liberating work with the critic, and I've done it myself, and I've worked with many people, and I've seen it uh, with many people that when we start to look at the critic, understand the critic, inquire into the critic, work with the critic, challenge the critic, uh, cultivate practices of mindfulness, of loving kindness, of forgiveness, of compassion. There are many ways that we can learn to work with this pattern and mechanism where we can actually feel quite free from its impact, where it becomes like the metaphor of this little yapping dog that you know yaps away, but doesn't actually really you know in the beginning it might have been a huge you know oversized Doberman pincher that was going to bite our head off, and now it's a little yapping dog going, oh, you're not really that good. You should listen to me. You're not very special. So um, yeah, so I've noticed working with people. Um, I think partly it can be. A radical sometimes i see the most dramatic shift in people's spiritual practice specifically doing this work on the critic um partly because it's it's often something that we we've we've been so unconscious about or we've let just go on for so long without really ever th- even thinking about we can actually take a step back and go oh what is this bunch of thoughts that saying I'm really a hopeless, miserable mess. And so sometimes even just that, the thought of, oh, I can actually, I mean, I can, I can look, I can take a step back, I can, I can examine this, I can go, oh, is that really useful? That that in itself is a huge step. You know, most of, most of the time, most people are just living under the effect of their critic. And, and you can hear it in people's conversation the way they talk about their work, their body, their relationship, their foibles, they just they just you know and and you know the, the the incidence of depression in this country is huge and i'd say a m- significant part of that is caused by the critic. i think it's the i think it's a significant factor in the cause of depression. so i remember once teaching a retreat up the hill and um working with a a friend who um that's significant uh inner critic issues he was an actor um and that's you know one of the professions that's really a complete setup for the critic um and you know worked with it for a while and cultivating a lot of mindful awareness around it and at some point he was walking down the hill and uh his critic was you know moaning on about something his meditation or how he's walking or something and then he just had the realization this is just a bunch of thoughts it's just a bunch of thoughts just like if I was having a bunch of thoughts about the stock market or the tree or the floor or whatever this is just a bunch of thoughts and in that moment it sort of it you know what what those insightful moments can do is it Pulls out the rug from what, from an entrenched belief system, an entrenched pattern of giving something authority. So for me, how my my this this work started um, many many years ago. Um, I started practicing meditation twenty five ish years ago, and um, was very hard on myself, very self-judgmental, very critical, and um, had a lot of self-hatred, actually, and started doing mindfulness practice, started doing loving-kindness practice, and at some point, a few years into my practice, I was just sitting in meditation, and I, my judge was going, you know, as it does. And I, start, and I just started feeling the impact of it, as if it was coming from the outside. Like, you know, if, if you imagine your best friend saying all the things that your judge does, right? well, first, they wouldn't be a best friend anymore. <laughs> you wouldn't stand for it for more than 10 seconds, but you, but you would also feel the impact would, you would you you would feel the emotional impact just as when someone is critical, that we feel it. It's like it's it's an arrow, yeah. It's and someone's harsh, rejecting. I felt it in my heart. It's like this is really painful, really really de- undermining. And I there was something about f- letting the feeling, letting it feeling the impact of all those incessant thoughts. Something snapped. It's like uh, this is this is insane. It's insane to, to let this go on, you know, because of the pain it causes. Whether or not it's true, it's irrelevant, it's just painful. So it's really important I, for my process to, for, to feel the impact, to really let yourself feel the emotional impact, feel it in the body and the heart. And then what that does is it allows compassion to rise. When, when we open to our suffering, when we turn towards leaning to our pain, which is what so much of this teaching is about. Mindfulness is leaning into the truth, which is often the difficult. When we feel the pain with an open heart, what comes is compassion, is a tenderness, is a kindness, is a caring, is an empathy, is a warmth. It's like, oh, ow, this hurts. What can we do about this? There's a, there's a, there's a responsiveness, or how can I help this? What can I do? I don't want to keep this, I don't, I don't want this to continue. So, and that's where the, the power of, of the heart, of the loving kindness and the compassion qualities and practices really come into, into play. This is a poem from Marie Howe who speaks to this, uh, speaks to this emergence of kindness. And the, you might relate to this, the way, the way she talks about her life. She's writing to her brother Johnny who died at 28 or what the living do Johnny the kitchen sink has been clogged for days some utensil probably fell down there and the drainer won't work because but smells dangerous and the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called this is the everyday we spoke of it's winter again the skies are deep headstrong blue the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and later when buying a hairbrush. This is it, parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you called that yearning, what you finally gave up, We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not to call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and more of it. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, (laughs) say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blown hair, chapped face, an unbuttoned coat, that I'm speechless. I am living, I remember you. There are moments when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of a corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing, cherishing so deep from my blowing hair and chapped face, I am left speechless. So, well this poem speaks for itself. You know, there are moments when in, in the mess, of our lives, right? Life's messy, isn't it? It's messy, it's chaotic, it's confusing. It's not like it is on the TV ads. (laughs) It's not like the Brady Bunch, you know. It's messy, it's complicated. It's busy, it's fast. We feel like we're not doing it very well. Someone else has the answer somewhere. And then sometimes, some moments, we stop and we feel, we catch ourselves in the mirror. Or we have a moment of acceptance or forgiveness, or we feel just, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to be human. It's hard to be living this life. It's hard to not feel like I'm doing none of it well. And there's a moment of tenderness, of kindness, of forgiveness, like, oh yeah, this too. Yeah, I can hold all of this. I don't need to be so harsh with myself. This quality of love or tenderness or kindness is is possible is available, and it softens the all that crust of the critic so a couple of last thoughts before we do an exercise um, so one is to just mention briefly our usual strategies against the critic so. Uh, one of them is to engage. This is from the from the book Soul Without Shame. This is a, a, he uses the language of engaging. Engaging is when we try to engage the critic. So one form of engagement would be to rationalize. No, 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 no I'm really a good person. I, I know I was horrible to that person on United Airlines on the phone, but you know, I I I I cooked for my kids yesterday, and you know, and 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 and. and what are what we doing? We are immediately on the defensive. We've given authority to this voice and this, this thought that I'm not good. And if you've noticed, whenever you try to engage the critic, what happens? You lose. <laughs> you don't win. It's always got some smart alec answer. Mm-hmm. Something just a, mm, that's great, but. So to notice when you give authority the critic by engaging, as Dustin Hoffman said, a good review from the critic is just another stay of execution. <laughs> the way we hang on for those judgments—a great line. A good review from the critic is just another stay of execution. Sometimes we counterattack with sort of an anger and well, who do you think you are? No, 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 no. And again, we, we've, we're giving, a th- we're feeding. Whatever we feed, it grows. Uh, sometimes uh, our strategy is is we so believe it's not even a strategy it's just we so believe the critic is who we are that it must be true. Right? We believe the truth of the of the statements that they, that they really are objective that, that, that the judge is really an objective obs- uh, assessment of who I am. Another strategy which is really sort of the, the the fallen strategy is we we believe it and then we collapse. we you know we, we give up, we surrender, and we get pummeled, or we judge ourselves for judging, which of course really works you know well so a couple of important points. Um, some people say, "Well, I need my judge. I need my critic to, to navigate through the world. It's it's how I it's how I make sense of good and bad, right and wrong. How I make decisions. It keeps me, gets me up in the morning. You know, anybody relate to that 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 theme? Like, if without my critic, I'd just be this blob that didn't do anything. It didn't clean the house. It didn't work. That it wasn't nice. It was just a slob. You know. Well, is that true?" It's a really good it's a really deep belief system. it's one of the th- reasons we hold on to the critic so an important distinction is is to um we'll take a break in a minute for those who are dying for the bathroom um' I'm sorry for talking on so long um is the distinction between judging and discerning right discerning is this is a red and fawn whatever that colour is green I don't know. This is a red and fawn carpet. I don't know, what what is that color? Beige. Thank you. <laughs> it's a red and beige carpet, you know. And it's just it's just what it is. It's just a, you know. It's got a stripe and it's beige. You know. And the judgment is, no not about that carpet. It's pretty blah, <laughs> right? It it's it has it you know. So the judgment has this emotional tone to it. You know, or, or, or I, c- I could look at my day. You know, I could look at this talk and go, mm, "That was a reasonably clear talk. I think it was okay. Maybe a little long, but it was it was an okay talk." Versus, oh God, you just sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um or, or a better example. You know, my car is really dirty and dusty. Or God, like, I can't believe you. The car is like, wh- what's up with that? It's so disgusting. So the, the you know so so we're not throwing out discernment discernment we need for everything in our lives and mindfulness leads to cloudy discernment. We don't need to ask the critic about my dirty car. I can see my car is dirty. I don't need the emotional baggage. baggage. Thank you. Um, we also are loyal to the critic um, partly because it's old. It's familiar. It's how we know ourselves and our mind. Um, we're also loyal to it because, um, because we believe it's where we take our sense of conscience from. We, bel- we, ta- we think the critic is how we reference good and bad, right and wrong. And that if we didn't have this critic that's saying, you know, don't do that and be nice and be kind and be skillful, and that we would just be unethical and horrible and mean and selfish and... But in terms of spiritual practice and Buddhist practice, you know, there's a, there's a natural, healthy conscience that's part of the psyche, that's part of awareness. Yeah? That grows as we become more aware. We don't need this pejorative part of the mind to, to decide what's ethical and what's unethical, what's right and what's wrong. What we do inside, we do outside. If we judge ourselves inside, guess what we do in a room full of people? Not only do we judge them, but we also project that they're having the same views about us. That's actually really debilitating. If we judge ourselves, we project it onto everybody else and we walk around in fear and cowering because we think other people are being as harsh Nobody is as harsh as we are. You know, Maybe occasionally there's a rare person that might be, but most 99.9%, most people, they want you to be the best you can be. They want you to be who you are. They want you to be the fullest expression of yourself. Maybe not the fullest, but they want you to be yourself. <laughs> and they want you to be happy. And they don't care so much about all the stuff that you keep worrying about. They don't even see it. They don't even believe it's true. But we project that and then we shrink. Very miserable. Mother Teresa said, if you judge people you have no time to love them. If you judge people you have no time to love them. And lastly, and we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat this as we do the exercise, um, to understand the history of the voice inside. So when you hear your judging mind, judging thoughts, see if it sounds like somebody you know. (laughs) Without giving any hints away, (laughs) you may notice, you know, that it sounds like somebody in your history. Family member, perhaps, parent, perhaps, sibling, teacher, societal voice. Yeah, so just be, be mindful of, because when we understand more the history and the origin, it, it, it just brings more clarity, more discernment. Okay, so um, that's plenty of information for now. So what we'll do is we'll take a break, uh, and then it will take a 10-minute break, and um...